Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Swangard, he's the managing director of the Warsaw Center at the University of Oregon. He's going to join us to recap his recent trip to China. Let us know just how much the economy and even the air quality has changed since the 2008 Summer Olympics were held there. We'll also discuss the legacy of NCAA president and former University of Oregon president, Dr. Miles Brand with Swangard. Brand died this week at age 67. In segment four, SportsSense, Travis Parrott. He's the 2009 U.S. Open Mixed Doubles champion, good friend of Nathan's. We talk all the time on this show about the athletes who make millions of dollars, but this week we're going to hear from an elite pro athlete who plays for prize money and whose career isn't nearly as lucrative as you might think. Parrott has an amazing story about his mixed doubles playing partner, too, so you're going to want to make sure to tune in for this conversation in segment four of our show couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. SB Radio is my Twitter handle. Joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by Nathan Roach. Nathan, sad news this week. Uh, Dr. Brand has been on this show a few times and He's done great things for the NCAA, really uh, helped them reform their academics, put the student into student-athlete, was very passionate about advocating for student-athletes, and he lost his battle with pancreatic cancer this week. Very sad. Yeah, it's been a rough year for sports leaders, Brand and Gene Upshaw, so it's really sad, especially when you're seeing people do great things for their sport or their organization like those two have. So we'll talk more about the legacy of Dr. Miles Brand. The other thing I want to talk about, Serena Williams, her meltdown in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Does this tarnish her brand? And if so, how much? We're going to discuss that in our Caught in the Crosslight segment coming up next after headlines. NFL and college football, historically huge TV ratings. We'll give you those numbers. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, a sad note, Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA and a guest on this show twice, passed away this week at age 67 of pancreatic cancer. Brand is being remembered this week for his commitment to academic reform, which he championed from the very beginning of his tenure. In fact, he shared with us that currently student-athletes actually have a higher graduation rate than non-student-athletes. Brand is also remembered for getting tough with Bobby Knight when Brand was the president of Indiana University and Bobby Knight was the men's basketball coach. Brand eventually fired Knight. Brand was known as a tough negotiator and someone who was passionate about advocating for men and women student-athletes. Nathan, big shoes to be filled here. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we had him on the show a bunch here, and, and I always remember you asking him, and he was he was stood tall in his word about college football and whether or not there'd be a playoff system. And, uh, you know, just listening to him talk, you could just tell he was very passionate and, and very involved in every aspect of his job. Well, and he talked to the university president because he was a university president at Indiana and at Oregon. So... He said the presidents like the current bowl system. They don't want a playoff, and unless they change their minds, nothing's going to change. We will see. It'll be interesting to see who the successor is, but they've got their work cut out for them. Our next headline, enormous, ginormous TV ratings for college and pro football this week. Fox's national NFL game telecast Sunday featuring the Redskins and Giants earned a 14.8 final rating with 25.1 million viewers, making it the most watched Sunday Week 1 game on record, dating all the way back to 1981. Meanwhile, NBC earned a 12.9, 22 final Nielsen rating and 20.9 million viewers for its coverage of the NFL season opening Titans-Steelers game last Thursday night. That's up 49% and 55% respectively, from an 8.615 and a 13.5 million viewers last year for the Redskins-Giants. ESPN earned a 10.3 cable rating and 14 million viewers for Bills-Patriots Monday Night Football and an 8.9 cable rating and 11.9 million viewers for Charger Raiders Monday Night Football, marking the two largest cable audiences of 2009. Nathan, these are remarkable numbers, especially for me, the Chargers-Raiders game, because half the country is asleep. I mean, that game starts at like 9 o'clock East Coast time. It doesn't end till after midnight. It shows how big the NFL is in the United States, and it's only getting bigger. Well, I don't know if this is just me, but I felt like there was much more of a buzz this year, more excitement around the NFL. Maybe that's the Favre saga. Maybe it's Michael Vick. But I just felt like people were real excited and ready to go for football, more so than I can remember in years past. Yeah, and those TV numbers definitely reflected our next headline. Speaking of TV numbers, try these on for size. USC Ohio State earned ESPN a 7.3 cable rating and a 10.6 million viewers last Saturday night, marking ESPN's most viewed college football game ever. That's covering both regular season and bowl games. Nathan, we knew this would be a big game, but I didn't think it would be this big, the most watched game ever on ESPN for college football. Again, you've got LA, you've got USC, Ohio State, a a very uh, marquee program, and I guess people wanted to see how did 
the young quarterbacks do, Terrell Pryor and Matt Barkley, and people tuned in and watched in record numbers. And we saw that they did well. I guess I, I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said it was the highest-rated regular season game, but to throw in bowl games, that's going to be tough to top in the next couple months. Yeah, we'll watch the ratings for college football, but again, pro football, college football, off to historically good starts with TV ratings. Our final headline of the week, the U.S. Open. Solid ratings on ESPN and CBS. Uh, Not great ratings on CBS because the weather. And we'll talk about that with our guest Travis Parrott coming up. But I don't know when the USTA is going to get smart and build a roof. They did it at Wimbledon. They need to do it in New York. I would think CBS would chip in some money for it because when you have your championships being played on Monday and everyone's at work and you're not getting nearly the exposure, that's a bad thing for your sport and a bad thing for ratings. Yeah, I mean, how many times can we watch Connors Crickstein? Seriously, and, and I love watching the U.S. Open, but they're running out of material, and I don't know if a roof is the answer. Maybe it is, but, uh, you know, Wimbledon only had a couple hours of use for their roof this year, and that's the rainiest tournament of all of them. Well, and it's an interesting U.S. Open because it will probably be remembered for the outburst by Serena Williams and even Roger Federer, who was fined $1,500 for using profanity with a judge, very uncharacteristic like for him. Um, you know, they weren't even the champions. You've got uh, Juan Martin Del Portro, or is that how you Del Portro? Yeah. yeah, and the guy can barely speak English, poor guy. He had a hard time doing the post-match interview with Dick Inberg. And then Kim Kleisters, what a great story, but she was unranked. She came out of nowhere, and we've got a good little tidbit to share with you in our last segment, so stick around for that about Kleisters. Well, going back to Del Potro, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous when he asked Dick Enberg to speak Spanish to his fans, <laughs> and they wouldn't let him. This is the U.S. Open right. champion. Give him 30 seconds so he can thank all of his countrymen. I thought that was poor by the, CBS. The best part about the U.S. Open for me, without a doubt, the McEnroe brothers calling the matches on ESPN. I liked it a lot. They were very funny uh, when they had, uh, what's his name, Will Ferrell on. And he threw it back to them. And I can't remember what he called them, the, the, the McFarley brothers <laughs> or something like that. It was just, it was That's great. That's great about the Open. Yeah, and those guys had Andre Agassi stop by. They've played tennis. They're very knowledgeable about the sport. I thought that was the most enjoyable part. All right, speaking of the U.S. Open little controversy there this week. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslight. Well, Serena Williams has been pretty much a model citizen over the course of her career, but, boy, she threw that out the window this week, Nathan. Uh, she had a meltdown right there on worldwide TV in the semifinals against Kim Kleisters. And then the thing that was amazing to me is in the press conference, she tried to deny that she threatened this lines judge, and you're right there on TV with lots of cameras. You've got microphones all around the court. Everyone heard it. Everyone saw it. How do you deny this? And then how do you come out and issue three statements? It's like my first statement wasn't good enough. Now I better say a little more on the second statement. Well, I didn't say everything, so let me put a third statement out. When you do that, you're in PR. You're basically raising the red flag and saying, hey, if you didn't pay attention to my screw-up the first time, let me draw your eyes back to it a second time, and, oh, let me draw your eyes back to it a third time. I thought her strategies this week were terrible. Well, not only her strategies, but how soon she did it. I mean, you watched the press conference after the match, and I saw very little remorse. I mean, she was joking. She's like, I've never been in a fight in my life. That's not the point. You heard what she said, expletive, I'll shove this ball down your 
expletive throat. I actually thought using the Kanye West example, he did a better job. He came out. He apologized immediately. It took Serena a little bit longer to come around, and I thought that's where she really made a mistake. Well, and this will be interesting. Serena's got deals with Oreo. She's got deals with Nike. Um, You know, she's one of the most recognizable athletes, especially for females in the world. She's really one of the faces of tennis with her sister Venus. They won the U.S. Open uh, doubles for women. And this, I think, puts a, a tarnish on her legacy. It'll be interesting to see where she goes from here. And also, you know, if you're Oreo, you're a family brand. Kids and, and parents are buying your cookies. What do you say to people who call your headquarters this week and say, you know what, that's not someone I think should represent your brand, and if she's going to continue to represent your brand, I'm not buying your product. What do you say to that? Well, I think it was ironic that McEnroe, of all people, is calling the match. The, the, the bad boy of tennis captain meltdown. And, you know, same thing with McEnroe. He kind of took her side, which surprised me a little bit from the booth. All right, in our next segment, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He's just back from China. We'll talk about that and the legacy of the late Dr. Miles Brand. And then coming up in Sports Sense, segment four, Travis Parrott. He's the 2009 Mixed Doubles Champion. That's all coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is an old friend of the show's Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, fresh back from China. Paul, thanks for joining us this week. Ni hao, Brian. Ni hao. So, Paul, I remember going to China with you a few years ago. Everyone was ramping up for the Olympics. We saw them trying to clean up the air quality, and we saw all the beautiful venues, and everything was spick and span, or as spick and span as it could be for China, in preparation for the Olympics. Now the Olympics are over. What did you see? Uh, well, it was hard to see. That was, that was probably <laughs> The first point we would make, you know, in some ways it was sad. I mean, I think we saw a Beijing that we had seen in the in the years leading up to the games. The the traffic is back to being bad. The the air quality is you know is suffering through the summer months as it has traditionally. And uh, you know, for uh, our
our Sunday morning, we actually went, uh, because we're all from the University of Oregon, we're running as king, we, we took the subway out to the Olympic Green and ran from the bird's nest and the water cube up to the the Olympic uh, Park that they built on the north end of the Olympic Green and maybe saw five people in the in the process of doing that. It, it's, you know, it, it was for this country a very unique uh, opportunity to make a statement about uh, you know the, the country's progress and it was it was a statement games but what we're seeing now is what has been a classic issue for Olympic host cities and and we're in the midst of you know preparing for the announcement for 2016 that oftentimes these facilities are built with no long-term vision for how they'll be utilized when they're over and in the $40 billion version of the Beijing Olympic Games we have these signature facilities like the bird's nest that will only maybe have one or two events each year. And that's, uh, you know, that's a sad legacy of the Olympics and something the IOC is certainly trying to change in the, in the bid processes moving forward. Biggest surprise in China, good or bad, when you were there? Uh, you know, my, my biggest surprise, it was an, a neat treat for us, was the opportunity to go out and see the new world headquarters of Li Ning Sports, which if anybody watched the, the opening ceremonies might remember the, the namesake of that sportswear company, Li Ning, the uh, Chinese gymnast who lit the torch walking, you know, sort of uh, anti-gravity around the circumference of the Olympic uh, Bird's Nest Stadium. They have built a world headquarters that if anybody has been to Beaverton or to the north side of Portland and have seen the Nike and Adidas campuses is basically an homage to their competitor brands. And uh, this is a company that now is boasting sales of over a billion dollars and along with other domestic brands like Anta and 361 are going to be uh, brands that at least domestic uh, consumers in the United States may want to start paying attention to. These are brands that are going to make uh, themselves known outside of the borders of China, and certainly one of the things that uh, I was blown away. I, you know, I, I literally felt at home when I walked on the uh, Leaning campus. It was a lot like being at Beaverton. Wow, that's interesting. Paul, I want to switch topics. Uh Dr. Miles Brand, the former president of the University of Oregon, most currently uh, the president of the NCAA. We've both had the pleasure of speaking with him, and he passed away this week at age 67 of pancreatic cancer. In your mind, what's the greatest legacy of uh, Dr. Brand? Well, I mean, I think he certainly raised the uh, the visibility and, and, and initiated the, the stronger dialogue amongst member institutions about the role that that academics play in the student-athlete experience. You know, he was the first uh, former university president to to reside in the president's chair of the NCAA, and I think as a result, you know, had a a different perspective on things. And you know, we're we're not anywhere to a point now where I think things have been fixed, and I think there's a lot of uh, things around the state of college sports and the and the role that the that the student experience plays in that that. Uh, you know, he would have loved to have been a part of. But, I, you know, I think his lasting legacy is that people are talking about that. Um, they recognize that, uh, you know, collegiate sports is not uh, professional sports and needs to have, um, you know, it needs to have this this student experience built into it. And I, and I think his lasting legacy will be uh, that, that maybe when we look back 10, 15 years from now, that, that the NCAA and collegiate sports will have, uh, been better off for for having him in the role of president when he was uh, was when he was in that role. You know, 
before he came on board, the NCAA, maybe it's just me, but they seem to operate with this veil of secrecy. And after he came on board, they were much more transparent. He was much more media friendly. He did podcasts. I just thought that they took on a more soft, gentler image after he was in that seat. Do you think that's accurate? I think that's an accurate statement. He, you know, he brought a lot of um, of new perspective to the to the role of president. I think he engaged a lot of the stakeholders who felt uh, a bit distanced and frustrated by uh, the way in which the NCAA had been operated to that you know to that point when he took over. And uh, you know, I think he 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 knew and understood the criticisms that were being laid on you know this this incredible period of growth. Um, and, and, and again, I, I think I stated it earlier, this is not a, a, an organization that is anywhere near to be, you know, I would think people would say that it's not the best organization in, in sports business today, but certainly you have to respect that what he brought to the table was uh, an inclusiveness to having all sides being heard in the process, and I think hopefully you know, that will continue under uh, what will obviously be a, a very interesting period of transition and uh, the choice of the, of the successor will obviously uh, have a lot to do with where the uh, you know where the state of college sports uh, moves from here. Yeah, Dr. Brand was the first NCAA president to ever die in office. We're joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, you're there in Eugene, and you know I know this was a few weeks ago, but I haven't had a chance to get your take on this. You're at the epicenter, Legarrette Blunt, football player. Highly publicized punch against a Boise State player. He's basically kicked off the team or at least not allowed to play in games this year by head coach Chip Kelly. You know, my thought on this was it crossed the line and such bad publicity for the University of Oregon. When you wake up the next morning and it's being shown over and over and over again on SportsCenter and on national TV, that's when I would think the university president and other administrators sit up and go, you know what, this is terrible for our image. What's it been like there in Eugene for the last few weeks since this incident? Well, it's been interesting. You know, we were we were actually in Beijing when the incident occurred and, and can also attest to the fact that not only was it being shown over and over again on American domestic television, but over and over again on foreign wow. television with ESPN being uh, available in, in pretty much every hotel above three-star in, in China. You know, I think in some ways Legarrette is a victim of a harmonic convergence of uh, of a situation where you had uh, a new president, a new athletic director, and a new head coach all wanting to deal with this issue proactively. You had a game that was one of only two nationally televised games on a Thursday night in which there was no game the following day. So it was, as you pointed out, sort of the you know the topic du jour in in sports. And, you know, we're, we're an institution that's seen a, an incident like this happen before. Aaron Brooks, the uh, you know, very talented point guard now for the Houston Rockets, was involved in a pretty scary on-court incident with a player from the University of Washington, which resulted in a three-game suspension for him. You know, had this happened on a Saturday when there was all these other games going on, going into a Sunday of NFL action, I'm not certain that LeGarrette would be sitting out the remainder of the season. As it happens now... I think they've, you know, they've found a silver lining. He's back on the team in a in a practice role. He's serving on the scout team. 
they're they're honoring their commitment to him as a student athlete, you know, saying to him, you know, come practice with the team, you know, stay in shape, um, go to school, learn your lesson. But, uh, you know, it, it's a sad statement all around. And, and fortunately, what heals most of these wounds, as it, as it has for a lot of other athletes and a lot of other teams over the years, is the team is back playing and, and they won their, you know, their game afterwards against Purdue and you know if the team continues to play well winning tends to have a lot of uh, of healing power and and that's what I think fans and and certainly the team and the administration are hoping that Oregon will you know be back to their winning ways and and learn from this incident and uh, put this very sad chapter of Oregon football history behind them all right Paul last question for you you're gonna like this one whose brand took the biggest hit this week Serena Williams Michael Jordan or Kanye West? Uh, good question. I, I will go outside the sports world and say Kanye West. I, I, I just don't get that guy. Um, I guess when you're called a jackass off the record by the president of the United States, uh, <laughs> that, that's never a good thing either. No, you know, I, I think Serena will survive. I think, uh, you know, Jordan has uh, a lot of equity built in. I, I think Conway, Kanye just has... Uh, you know, found a, a very innovative way to continue to screw up his, uh, you know, his brand equity. I, I think there are certainly some people who will still just love him for the artist that he is. And, and from all I gather in the little YouTube clips of his music that I was able to download over the last couple of days, you know, he's a, a fairly talented artist. But, you know, that guy needs a break. And uh, as he announced, I guess, on Jay Leno the other night in front of 18 million people, um, he's He's in need of a break away from the limelight. And I think, you know, people, as we all do, have to appreciate and, and I guess sort of sympathize with the fact that uh, these guys have an un, you know, inordinate amount of scrutiny placed on them. They are, they are basically on 24 hours a day, and, and maybe he's reached his point of saturation where he just needs to take a step back and uh, – take a long vacation in a place where TMZ and, uh, and, and everybody else can't find them, if that's, if that's possible. Yeah, if that's possible. All right, Paul, before I let you go, uh, throw out some plugs for Warsaw Center websites. You guys are on Twitter now. You're on Facebook. Uh, how do people find you? Yeah, you can find us at WarsawCenter.com or uh, the UO Warsaw Center is our, our Twitter page, and we're also uh, on Facebook and in both a fan site and uh, any of our, our alums out there that are listening to us can, can hook up with us through Facebook or LinkedIn as well. Starting our you know 2009-2010 campaign in about a week's time with uh, a lot of excitement happening on campus and always looking for that next generation of student, both at the undergraduate and the MBA level. So uh, come check us out, and if you want more information about what we're all about, uh, just pick up the phone and give us a call. It's amazing. We still actually have human beings on the other end that are actually willing to talk to you rather than just uh, Twitter about it. Thank God. Paul, thank you so much for taking time this week. It's always great to catch up with you. Thanks, Brad. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, 
hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Our guest is Travis Parrott. He is the 2009 U.S. Open Mixed Doubles Champion. He is ranked 31st in the world in doubles. Travis, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on your big victory in New York. Hey, thanks for the congratulations, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. So before we get into some of the other questions, you've got a great story about how you and your mixed doubles partner, Carly Gullickson, met up and played in the U.S. Open. You guys weren't even ranked. You go ahead and win this thing. Tell the backstory about how you guys got paired up for this event. Yeah, I was I was set to play with this girl named Abigail Spears, and um, I mean she was one of the few girls on the WTA that I that I had her number because I wasn't actually in New York when the whole sign-in happened. So originally I texted this girl, Abigail Spears. She said, yeah, let's go ahead and sign up and play. And then two days later, she pulls out on me because uh, she, she was able to get in with Robert Kendrick. And I said, hey, do you, do you have anybody else in mind? Any, any phone numbers you can give me so I can try to get in? And she said, yeah, I think Carly Golickson hasn't found a partner yet. Here's her number. Why don't you text her? So I immediately texted Carly, and uh, Carly texts back saying, I have no partner. Let's do it. Let's play. And um, that's how it all kind of started. So it all started with the text. Travis, this is Nathan. Obviously, this has changed your life in terms of being a U.S. Open champion. How has it changed? And we're going to get into this, I'm sure, uh, you know, endorsement deals or, you know, brand recognition, your own brand recognition. Has anything come of this victory just yet? I know it just happened uh, not long ago. Yeah, it just happened. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see kind of what happens. Um, you know, I've been I've, I've started this website called Inside the Game TV. Um, I started that around Wimbledon time, and it, that's been getting you know a lot more hits ever since um, this whole U.S. Open mixed has happened. But um, you know, I already have kind of a contract with Wilson. I'm not sure if that will change. And then, uh, like the, uh, I guess, any clothing deal, we'll kind of see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Travis, we talk on this show a lot about the Alex Rodriguez and LeBron Jameses of the world, but you're playing for prize money, so you're playing and. However you do is the money that you earn, and I would assume you've got to pay your way to these events and put yourself up. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. A lot of people think, hey, mixed open champion, it's lucrative, it's glamorous, but I bet you could paint a different story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is different. We're, you know, we're out there playing each week for, for the prize money. It's not like we're, we're signing you know, 10-year deals for X amount or whatever. Obviously, the Roger Fetters of the world, you know, they have it you know, um, pretty lucrative deals with Wilson and um, and Nike. And so I think, you know, despite how they play, they, they do have a little cushion there. But for the majority of the players, yeah, it's, it's primarily prize money where they're getting their income. 
And so, you know, like the USL mix, as good as that was, it doesn't really mean anything for the next two weeks. I still got to go out and, and earn the next paycheck, I guess you will, as you will. So, um, you know, I'm, it, that whole thing was great, but, you know, the next step is just, you know, how do I get better, get get back on the road and uh, keep keep trucking. So give our listeners an example of what you just brought home for winning the U.S. Open Mixed Doubles Championship and what you might take home in a typical year. Um, tip, there, there is no typical year. I guess that's what I found. I mean, so this year. A lot, of, a lot of ups and downs. Um, I mean, it's going to be somewhere in the somewhere in the two hundreds, I guess. Two hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and Travis, to that same point, give our, our our listeners a sense of how long you're on the road because one thing we see on TV all the time with golf and tennis is we see Tiger Woods, we see Roger Federer, but we know they're not out there grinding it out every single week. How how many yeah. days or weeks are you on the road a year playing tournaments all over the world? Yeah, I'm, I usually play about 30 tournaments a year. Um, four of those um, are the Grand Slams, which last two weeks each. So I guess just right there, I'll, I'll be on the road a minimum of you know 34 weeks a year. And I've been on the road as much as 40 weeks, so 34 to 40 weeks a year. Um, and, and it is a grind. You know, I always tell people it's, the travel is like you know the best and the worst part of what I do because. And it's great to see these these new cities, these new cultures, but it's you know definitely not as glamorous as it always sounds. You know, because once I get into these places, you know, we're primarily just seeing the tennis courts, the hotel, the gym, trying to stay fit, and you know, I'm not doing too much sightseeing and really enjoying enjoying these. Um, these exotic places. Well, Travis, you're a double specialist. You're currently ranked 31 in the world and have, have been as high as 25. We just talked about prize money. What does the typical, let's say, ATP event for the winner of the doubles tournaments make on average, would you say? Um, I guess at the smallest level, um, I think it's it's around 30,000 split, maybe it's between 30 and 35,000. And then it goes all the way up to Grand Slams, where I believe the split is, you know, you split $450,000. And then, you know, they have the, the lowest level ones, and they have the Master Series, and they have the Grand Slams. And so there are there are a lot of, you know, varying measures uh, for all the different journeys. We're joined by Travis Parrott. He's the 2009 U.S. Open Mixed Doubles champion. He's ranked 31st in the world in doubles. Travis, let's back up a moment. A lot of our listeners may decide, hey, you know what, I'd like to be a pro tennis player someday. I'm playing tennis right now. Give us a little background on how you got started in tennis and how you got to the path that you're currently on where you're a pro tennis player. I mean, it started early. Uh, I have three older brothers that played tennis growing up, and my, my, my dad and my mom were both teaching pros, so I, I just was kind of born in, into, the, into the game. We had a court in our backyard. Uh, here in Portland, Oregon. So, I mean, that was our summer pastime. We'd be out there hours on end playing against each other. And then, you know, moving all the way up to originally, I didn't I didn't want to go to college. I just wanted to go professional. Um, so when I was just like 17 years old, I mean, that was the big question, you know, should I go for it or, I mean, should I go to school? And, um, you know, I had a good junior career. I think I was, I don't know, maybe top 10 in the country, the second year of each age division. That's, the, you know, so when I was like 14, 16, and 18. Uh, but nothing that really prompted, you know, people telling me, you know, you should definitely go pro. So 
I decided to uh, go to the University of Georgia. Um, they were, you know, one of the top five men's programs in, in the country. So I thought that'd be a good place to, you know, continue to work on my game and and um, at least get a good education. And then, um, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of ups and downs in college, but decided to to give it a shot on the pro circuit in 2002. My, my uncle helped me out with the funding because, I mean, that's that's the biggest part is, you know, getting someone to back you for the first couple of years because the first couple of years, I mean, there's no money. You're playing futures, and I was I was in Jamaica, playing these small cities in in England, playing small cities in France, and just kind of, I mean, truly grinding away, taking buses, taking trains, you know, this, I mean, whatever I could do to travel the cheapest. And so, you know, it took me a good solid two years before I could get into the big show or the, you know, the tour events or the Grand Slams. Travis, what kind of funding are we talking about with your uncle? I ask because, you know, you see Maria Sharapova and you see Agassi and all these guys who went to the Nick Boletari Academy. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're not spending that much money because you're not going to that academy. You went the college route. But when you're having to go to your uncle and say, hey, I need some funding if I'm going to be a pro tennis player, what are we talking about? Um, I mean, it it was just travel expenses, you know, so – I mean, he, he, he was very gracious and, uh, you know, just basically said, you know, try to, you know, do, do things as reasonable as possible. But, you know, we want to help you get started. And then he never really gave me, uh, you know, an amount of time I really had. But, um, it, I mean, I think it took me two years with his help before I could kind of do things on my own where I could, you know, turn a profit, I guess you could say. Travis, changing gears now, you know, we talk a lot on the show about the state of tennis, and we saw great numbers at the U.S. Open this year. We saw attendance up. We saw television ratings up. Uh, You know, I think a lot of Americans would wish that American tennis was up. Where would you, since you're at these events and on the ground, what do you feel about the state of tennis right at this moment, both on a a major scale and, and also here in the U.S.? Um, Yeah, I mean, on the major scale, the Grand Slams are just, killing it every year. I mean, they're breaking records left and right, even despite the, the down economy. So that's, that's obviously a really cool thing to see, you know, um, that despite that people are still coming out and wanting to watch tennis and support the game. Um, some of the smaller tournaments have been struggling a bit, but, um, but so far it hasn't, hasn't been hit too hard. And, you know, I think, you know, with, with Federer and the doll and, you know, their, their match at Wimbledon last year, there was just, you know, unbelievable that went into the to the hours of the night, late hours of the night. Like that, that gets people talking. That gets on the news, and I just feel like it's been, you know, it's just been more in the in the news than lately. And some of that has to do with you know Serena going nuts on the umpire, and you know, so that you could call that bad publicity, but it's you know, it's publicity, and it's just it's just getting out there. Travis, uh, what are your thoughts on the roof? For the U.S. Open, we've seen, you know, Wimbledon has put a roof in, and it's helped them a lot. And it seems like every year at the Open, they run into issues with weather. And, you know, if I'm CBS, I'm chipping in for the roof because when you have to play your finals on Monday and there aren't nearly as many people watching and you have some semifinals matches that aren't even on TV, uh, that hurts your sport, don't you think? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, Wimbledon, I thought that was a great thing to do. I mean, uh, I mean, they, they would lose so much money every year. I mean, it seemed like every year they would have, you know, two rain-out days where they'd have to refund, 
all, all this ticket money. I, ha I mean, I don't think historically U.S. Open has run into as many problems. Um, but with that said, you know, if yes, CBS has has the airtime, you know, they want to fill it with with live tennis. I think moving forward, it probably would be a good investment. Um, but um, I thought it was, you know, a great thing that Wimbledon did. And it's just unfortunate that this year it only it only rained for like three hours in the whole fortnight. Travis, before we let you go, uh, I got to hear the trophy story. We were talking about the the trophy off air before this interview, and uh, I guess they present you with the trophy on the court, but then they don't mail you the trophy until later. Uh, tell us that story. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because well, a lot of people have asked me since I've come home, hey, can we can we see the trophy? What is it like to hold the trophy? This trophy, this trophy, that. And I'm like, hey, I don't even know if I'm going to get one, <laughs> you know, because we were on the court. After the match, you know, they, they give us a trophy that Carly and I were holding together, and they were snapping all the photos. And then we were kind of thinking, I wonder who, who gets this one, you know. And then uh, when all the photographers left and we were walking back, the tournament director comes up and is like, Oh, sorry, guys. I need to take that back. And we're like, what? Like, <laughs> and do you each get one, or do you have to like cut it in half and you each take half of it? How does that work? Hey, at the time, I would have cut it in half if I could have <laughs> kept it at that point. But <laughs> now that I'm having to wait this long, I want the whole the whole deal. So um, yeah, it's funny. I finally got an email from the U.S. Open today requesting my address and uh, and phone number so they could ship me the trophy. And uh, they said I can expect it sometime in November. So. So uh, I'll be waiting for that. You got to make that thing like the Stanley Cup and uh, just go around everywhere, show it to your family and friends. Drink let, beer out of it. Yeah, drink beer out of it. Let people take pictures with the trophy and with you. And, uh, you know, I think that could be a real conversation piece for you. Hey, I, 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 I'm happy to doing that. Hopefully I can win enough so we can have a whole party where people are drinking out of the, the Grand Slam Cups. That would be great. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for taking the time with us this week on Sports Business Radio. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, Kim Kleisters won the U.S. Open, and CNBC Sports Business reporter Darren Ravel had this tidbit this week that she's going to be paid a $300,000 bonus by Fila, which is her shoe and apparel sponsor, for winning the Open. But the key part of the story is that Fila did not take any insurance out against this bonus. 
Sometimes companies do that, especially on a bonus that big. But since Clijsters was a 40-1 to long shot to win the Open, Fila probably didn't think that they needed to take out that insurance. Nathan, she was unranked. One of the biggest long shot wins in Grand Slam tennis history. I was surprised she was a forty to one because I thought she's a good player, a great player, and a champion. And I, I would have thought maybe twenty to one, but forty to one seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, and she just had a child, and she really did a great job of getting herself back into shape and back out there on the tour. And you know what? The women's game right now, there's a lot of holes in it, and uh, she sees the opportunity. Our last tidbit of the week: Tiger Woods may end up winning. $10 million for winning the FedEx Cup bonus at the end of the year. And, Nathan, he's going to need every dime of that. Why? Well, yeah, he's building a 10,000-square-foot home on one of three connecting parcels on Jupiter Island, expensive island. He's facing a combined tax bill. Get this, 487290 bucks. The total is up $50,000 from last year. So he's looking at a half a million dollars just in his property taxes. Yeah, so if you're feeling bad about your tax bill coming up, just remember that Tiger's paying almost half a million dollars for taxes. But I guess when you have a, a mansion that big, and look, Tiger Woods, he makes over $100 million a year. $10 million for the bonus for winning the FedEx. Remember, Jack Nicholas, who's won more tournaments than any golfer who ever lived, he made just about $10 million in his entire career, and that counts the Champions Tour. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Travis Parrott, thank you for joining us, the 2009 U.S. Open Mixed Doubles champion. Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Center. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Follow me on Twitter. We're just about at the 1,000 follower mark. That's wonderful. SB Radio. Keep following us. We're on Facebook. Go to our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can link to that. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.